have a question for you as we uh, get started today in God's Word. Have you ever heard of the statement, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Have you ever heard that before, some kind of variation of that before? Is that, is that kind of a new statement? Is that new to you? Have you never heard that? You've, you've heard that before. You've probably uh, heard that before. What does that mean? What does the squeaky wheel gets the grease mean? What's it mean? Uh, For those of you that are watching online, you'll probably see that question in about 30 seconds. But ask and and type your answer in chat. What does it mean that the squeaky wheel gets the grease? The person that speaks up gets greasy? Gets more attention. Yeah, this person that that speaks up gets more attention. It's actually a statement that is attributed to a Josh Billings uh, poem. Uh, from 1910, and it's a poem called The Kicker. And it's the idea of someone who's doing this, getting someone's attention, kicking them, kicking something. And this is the, the part of the poem that has that phrase in it. I hate to be a kicker. I always long for peace. But the wheel that does the squeaking is the one that gets the grease. And that's a cultural poem, right? That's something that we know to be true in our culture. But there are other cultures. There's a Japanese saying that says this, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. And the thing about both of those sayings is that both of them are true, right? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. You've seen that happen. You've seen that happen probably most prominently in politics, There are lobby groups after lobby groups after lobby groups where people are clamoring for attention, wanting to get the attention of those who vote, those who make laws, so that they can get their um, agenda passed. They want things that benefit them. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. You see that in politics. And then you... um, also probably have seen that the the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. You know, maybe you've asked for a raise, and instead you've had your hours cut. (laughs) Those kinds of things. Two cultural proverbs. That what we do with proverbs is that we automatically recognize that sayings like these aren't always true in every situation, right? We pick and choose which ones are true. So, how does this affect us today? As we talk about our topic today, Christians understand this tension of knowing what proverb to live by at what time, and that sometimes one is true and sometimes the other is true, right? Last week, we talked about how we are to be witnesses. We are commanded to be bold. We are to speak out for Christ. We are to pray for those who are evangelizing, who are witnessing, and that fills our fire, it it, it stokes our fire for evangelism, and then we are to live in a way that our witness is not compromised, and that we always have an answer for what people are saying to us, And, and we talked about that, and so we know that we're to be witnesses, we're to be bold, we're to speak out for Christ, and we're to speak up to evangelize, but we also understand that sometimes that makes life harder, not easier. It makes life worse, not better. And so we hold these two tensions. How do we do this? And yet sometimes our world is falling apart. How do we be bold when we know that if we're going to be bold, it's going to make life worse, not better? 
as you uh, recall, we've given um, uh, sort of a, a footnote credit to everyone who has written these sermons for these six weeks. Uh, this is part of a series that our denomination has uh, asked all of us as uh, Christian Missionary Alliance family members to participate in, to go through 40 days of prayer together, and we're spending six weeks uh, talking about different topics that affect us as Christians, sort of the core of who we are. And uh, every week we get sermon notes that I base the sermons off of. And uh, this week the uh, message guide was uh, written by uh, Rosilio Roman, who is the Assistant Vice President for Multicultural and Multiplication Ministries. In other words, his job is to make sure that we are not mono-ethnic churches in our country. That the alliance is focused on building multicultural churches. And he writes this. Life on this side of heaven often contains joyful and encouraging events. But it also has its share of disillusionment and discouragement. One day we may be full of hope and great expectations. The next day it can all come crashing down. Just this past year, our great nation was brought to its knees by a merciless microscopic virus coupled with a nationwide reaction against racism and injustice. These events marginalized many people and pushed them into a downward spiral of despair and hopelessness. Many in our churches and surrounding communities are crying out to God for help and hope. We saw that all last year. That's a true statement. What uh, uh, Reverend Roman writes. And maybe that's true of you this morning. Maybe that's true of someone you know. Statistics tell me that uh, because of COVID-19, that marital stress has increased in America. Divorce is up. Alcohol consumption is up as people try to cope. If you get sick, can you afford the help that you need? Statistics tell us that over 43% of working age adults in America today have inadequate health insurance. And think more outside of our borders. What if you get COVID and you live in a country where there's very minimal health care? You're not in a first world country, you're in a third world country. What about countries where healthcare is practically non-existent? COVID has, inf has affected, infected, COVID has affected employment. I'm told that uh, the unemployed who have been out of work 27 weeks or longer is almost up to 37% of our population. The last time it was that high was the housing crash in the financial markets in 2008 that started a depression for us. And then there's the political polarization that we've seen that has just amplified the tension. One of the best websites that covered the election cycle over this past year was a website called 538.com. Not the numbers, but spelling out the numbers, 538.com. They consistently 
outcast and outpolled every other major news network. They were prominent in predicting this is what's happening in this area, this is what's happening in this community, and they were doing it before anyone else. And two of their contributors, Maggie Kurth and Amelia Thompson DeVoe, wrote this about political polarization. Every, uh, sorry, as political labels burrowed their way into the depths of Americans' identities, politics has gained the power to color and shape the way we think about parts of ourselves that aren't necessarily political. And everything, in other words, is partisan now. Everything, every part of our lives. And all or nothingism, accordingly, has become the way that politics is now practiced. And that's not just the result of increasing polarization, of course. There's a twisted mess of forces at work. Eroding trust in political institutions has increased distrust in mainstream politics, which in turn fuels conspiracy theories and encourages politicians to embrace fringe, extreme policies, which makes compromise and de-escalation even less likely. And we feel those stresses. As Reverend Roman wrote, many in our churches and surrounding communities are crying out daily to God for help and hope. And perhaps this last year or perhaps right now you're wondering, okay God, when? How come you haven't? Where's my hope? Where's the hope for my friends, my family, the people I love? Where's the hope for my community? It can be hard. It can be hard to do what God wants us to do because of our circumstances. It can be hard to maintain faith when your world or the world, is falling apart. And that is why Jesus, out of the blue, tells his disciples this story about ministry. And in this verse, Jesus does something that you don't often see, uh, and you see this in the Gospels. Luke gives away the point, like right off the top, before the story's even solved. There's no aha moment, there's no surprise that gives away. Oh, that's what that means. Luke just says, no, this is so important, I'm going to tell you up front, so you know what you're about to talk about. It says this, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Prayer is part of who we are, right? It's part of our, our lives. It's, it's part of connecting with God. It's part of hearing from God. It's one of the core Christian practices besides the meditation and study of Scripture, meditation on and study of God's Word, the, the, the fullness of the Scriptures, and to pray through those things. We have so many commands in Scripture to pray, but what Jesus is saying is, I want you to know that there's going to be times when you're tempted to give up, and I want to encourage you to keep going. So let's talk a little bit about prayer. Prayer, it's, it's nothing magical. It's not a set of chanting. It's not a set of an environment. It's not a place. It's, it's simply a conversation. 
It's communicating. Sort of like what, what uh, you might do at home with a friend. You might uh, text them. You might uh, uh, pick up the phone and call them if you're more old school. Uh, but you communicate with others, and g- the God of the universe wants us to communicate with him. And the act of doing that is simply called prayer. There's nothing magical about it. But the problem is, just like a text, is sometimes we can pour out our heart and we can send texts and there's just no response. And it feels like God is ghosting us. It feels like God is ignoring us. He doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything. Sometimes prayer is difficult because it feels like we're presenting, not conversing. We're in a presentation not a conversation. It's like you're giving a sermon to God. If you were up here and God was in the audience and God is asleep. I mean, that's not you. I know that. You guys are all awake, I can tell, and you guys are all awake online, I'm assuming. Uh, But uh, it's like you're up here and you're giving a presentation and you're not having a conversation. It can feel like that. It feels one-sided. And so Jesus wants to encourage us to not give up. I think there's also something else implicit here that we need to recognize about prayer that uh, uh, Reverend Roman noted in his sermon notes, and that was this. Prayer is a learned behavior. It's not a natural behavior. As natural as conversation comes to some of, some of us, active listening and clear communication is learned by everyone. And prayer is something that we learn to do as well. It is not something that is natural to us, and so it's something that we have to practice over and over and over. It is not something that we just instinctively know how to do well. And so Jesus says, hey, I want to encourage you. I want to help you learn this. And one of the things that we need to learn about prayer is that we need to endure in it. To not give up praying. And so he says, here's why. We can pray confidently even though we may not get an answer right away. He tells this story. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Good judge, bad judge, real quick. Good, bad. Bad, bad, bad judge. Terrible judge. Doesn't, doesn't, isn't interested that there's an authority over him. Didn't listen to other people. Bad judge. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, let's pause right there for a second because this woman is so insistent that the judge is concerned that she's about to become a desperate woman. Have you ever met a desperate woman who's willing to do anything? My goodness, this judge made the right decision. (laughs) Like just every man in the room say amen. Absolutely. I I mean, this is, you, you do not want a woman who is desperate who is ready to do anything. And she keeps going back and back and back. That the judge, even though he doesn't fear God and he doesn't fear people, is concerned that she might take matters into her own hands in some way. That she's becoming maybe 
unreasonable, unstable, about to do a bad thing to him. And he thinks, you know what? I'm just going to get her out of the way. I'm going to give her what she wants so she gets out of my life. Just go away. Here you go. Go away. I don't know that I've ever felt that way. So imagine with me what it would take for you to get to the point to be that desperate that other people viewed that you might take violent action. What would it have to be? What would it have to be in your life? I remember a friend of mine shared a story about he, how he and his wife were traveling internationally, and when they landed in the uh, other country, uh, his, his wife had been complaining that she wasn't feeling well. Uh, she, she got up and exited the plane, and they discovered that she was bleeding. Uh, she had some kind of internal hemorrhaging that was going on that suddenly uh, became external hemorrhaging. And the hospital was, uh, the ambulance was called and immediately people rushed her to the ambulance and the anesthesiologist uh, came up to the husband and said, so how would you like to pay? And he said, what do you mean? Well, uh, we know you're from out of the country. We know you're from another country. We don't take your health care here. How would you like to pay? Well, uh, how much? And he, and he gave a number that was close to five digits. I said, I don't I don't have that kind of money. I don't have a credit card that has that, that kind of money. I, I don't do. Okay, well, we can't do anything until you pay. My friend got very upset. Very vocally upset. He was desperate. The need was that great. That was the need that the widow had. Her adversary was doing something that was so great that her only recourse was to demand legal action. And she was so insistent that this legal action be taken that the judge was afraid. Of course, like my friend, he's tall like I am and far bigger than I am. I know that's hard to believe, but he's far more muscular than I am. And I, I just imagine him trying to say calmly yet clearly, are you telling me you will not operate unless I pay you first? This is what this woman feels. I don't know about you. I don't know how you have felt. I don't know of the tensions, but what would it be like to be that desperate that other people would view you as a violent risk, someone who might take life. So this judge grants her her request. And Jesus makes the connection for us in the following verses. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find it? 
I love that verse. I love that set of verses because Jesus reminds us that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Even with God. It happens in our lives and it happens with God because us consistently coming to God even though God may delay in His answer in our mind, even though God might not answer in the way that we expected in our minds, He always answers, He always comes to our defense. The God who loves us so conditionally, who would irrationally die for us even though we were sinners, He would love us that much to die for us, will He not take up the cause of His people? Of course he will. What Jesus is saying is this. God will stand for those who kneel. God will stand for those who kneel. God will defend those who seek him consistently, regularly, and say, God, if you don't do something, we will die. We need you to act. We need you to move. We need your justice. We need your solution. Bring your justice. Bring your solution. God will stand up for his people, which means that he cares. He hears persistent prayers. His answers are always timely and just. When you are desperate, when I am desperate for God to act because of injustice in our lives, God says keep praying because I will act. God will stand for those who kneel. And the temptation is to give up because it feels like the text just doesn't get answered. It feels like we're being ghosted. When the answer doesn't come quickly, or satisfactorily in our favor. He says, let your faith carry you in that moment to say, no, God does care. God does want to offer a solution. I can trust that he is a just God and that he is going to act in my life in a way that defends me as I walk with him and serve him. I will not give up even if God is late in my timing. God is never late in his. Jesus says, don't give up praying. God hears. God cares. He will always answer. He will always do so quickly. God will stand for those who kneel. So why does God seem to take forever sometimes? Why does God make us wait? I think, I think the Bible gives us three primary reasons why God doesn't always answer his prayers as quickly as we'd like, our prayers as quickly as we'd like, or maybe in a, in a way that we didn't expect. I think the first one we see in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. We read that God, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's not slow with you. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God just, he loves you. You might need to hear that this morning. God loves you with a love that burns with the brightness of a thousand suns and more. He's willing to die for you. When you were the ones who deserved death from your sin. But what Peter's telling us here is that he doesn't just love you, he loves everyone. 
He loves more than just you. He loves others. And when you're inside the fold, he says, great, come walk with me. I'm going to keep looking for others who are lost. He loves the whole world like they're his missing children. And if you lost your kids, I think you'd turn over heaven and earth to try and find them as well. That's what God is doing in the world today. That's why he invites us to be his witnesses, as we talked about last week. He doesn't want any of them to perish. And as a matter of fact, I think that builds into our next point that we see in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. He uses us. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. We're a pass-through. We're a connection. As God ministers to us, it's not just to minister to us. As He blesses us, as He answers us, as He defends us, it's not just to stop with us. It's to flow out from us into the lives of others who, so they can receive comfort through us. In other words, he uses our trials, he uses us in our persecution, in our trials as we faithfully respond in uh, ways that he is glorified. He uses us as bridges so that people who are far from him can find him. And as we do that, as he uses us in this way, to demonstrate how he comforts us and allows that to be a testimony to others of how they can be comforted. We are blessed. We benefit. We see this in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. It's not my usual response, but it's the Christian's response. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering well produces Christ-like character which produces hope which allows God's love to be poured out in us more deeply, more richly, more full than ever before. The way that we endure, he says, is that we endure through prayer. Not because prayer is magical, but because of who we are praying to. And as we converse to God, as we ask God to defend us, as we take a stand for him, as we are attacked, as we are persecuted, as we face injustice in our lives, know that we pray and we have a just God who will stand up for those who kneel. God stands for those who kneel. He will defend his people. It's our job to endure. And the way that we endure is to pray in faith knowing that God will come.
So what on earth does this have to do with marginalized people? (laughs) What does this passage have to do with marginalized people? When Jesus told parables, the um, idea that we would always have is we would kind of see ourselves as a particular character, right? Parable of the uh, prodigal son. We often see ourselves as that and receiving the welcome home of the father, but Jesus actually told that story in a way so that Christians would recognize that sometimes they can act like the older brother, the one who says, you're getting what you deserve, you don't get to come back home, you don't deserve it. What if we're not the widow in this story? What if we're not the marginalized What if we're the judge who is not letting God's love and justice flow through us, who has said the buck stops here and you will receive no benefit? Hmm. Widows in the Bible were marginalized people and they were kind of in a category. Biblically, if you study all of uh, what, what widows were kind of represented, they were the defenseless. And they were often grouped in with other groups of people, being the poor, the immigrant or the alien, and the fatherless. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is how are we as Christians, how is the church viewing marginalized people today? I think we have to know who they are. Who are marginalized people today? Are we ignoring them? Are there systems in place that marginalize people today? Absolutely there are. Are we standing up for them? Or are we ignoring them? I think one of the best ways that you and I can stand up for truly marginalized people in this world, in our country, who have an unfair advantage, who can't run the game of life because the system is betting against them and trying to keep them down while building other people up, is through prayer. It's to pray with and for those who are marginalized. To be a voice for those who have no voice. That is our job. We cannot receive the benefit and the justice that God wants to give us if we say, and it stops here, and it's not for you. God has always meant for us to be a blessing to the nations, a blessing to the world. That's what His family is. And so we cannot withhold His justice, making things right for those who are marginalized. And one of the best things we can do is pray for them. We can pray for marginalized people. Yesterday at Training Ground, we talked about the role of the church in racial reconciliation. That's a tricky topic today because... 
Christians have struggled since the civil rights movement about what to do about race, ethnicity, roles of leadership, belonging in the church. So we had this discussion because if not the church, then who will represent a biblical view of justice when it comes to all people being created in God's image? Yesterday at Training Ground, one of our speakers uh, challenged us that by doing nothing, that by not speaking out, that by not seeking justice for others is quite simply unbiblical. It just doesn't work. And we can encourage others while praying and while we listen to their story. We can lament with their pain, not try to fix their pain, not try to say that, hey, I don't see that, but to say, wow, I didn't know that was your experience. We can learn how to act and we can get involved for the long haul. Another one of our breakout speakers reminded us something that was really, really powerful to me personally. The church is already equipped to answer the question. We already have everything we need to battle against the, the demonic forces that would say this particular race, people of color, people who are not white and Caucasian have to be pushed down and the whites have to be lifted up in some way and we have to keep systems that allow that. The church already has those tools to fight that spiritual battle are two things that change us to be those who stand for justice in prayer with those who need justice is God's word, the complete counsel of God. Not picking and choosing verses that benefit us, but by looking at the whole counsel of God. And looking how, as God established the nation of Israel as his people, how he intentionally set up laws so that economic disparity would not exist. There was no 1% in the Old Testament. There could not be. You had a, a law that, man, that would be neat if we brought it back today. The year of Jubilee, when everyone who had debt was simply, it was simply forgiven. It was just gone. Everyone got a fresh start. Everyone was on an equal playing field. There were no laws that said the rich could keep getting richer and the poor could keep getting poorer. People of color would be welcomed into the Old Testament nation of of God's people because God consistently reminded them that, hey, you were foreigners once. I didn't choose you because you were Jewish. I chose you because I chose you. We have prayer. As we walk through the whole counsel of God, it girds us up for battle. The Bible calls it the sword of the Spirit. Rightly dividing God's truth. We also have prayer. I know that the statement thoughts and prayers doesn't seem to go very far in some people's minds. But let's be honest. 
Have we really prayed for the marginalized? Have I really prayed for the marginalized? Just in this past month, have I truly prayed for those that I know who are being held back by a system that is not just? Have I prayed for my my black brothers and sisters who, when they get stopped by a police officer, aren't sure how they'll be treated? Have I prayed for my Asian brothers and sisters who were unfairly condemned and vilified because of COVID-19? With words like Kung Flu being bantied about, and sometimes by Christians. How dare we? And it starts with prayer. Standing for and standing with marginalized people in our culture, in our country today. Starts with prayer. Because when we start to pray for those that we know who are marginalized, that are truly marginalized, that are in tougher positions than we are, we start to feel what they feel. We begin to listen to their story. We lament their pain. We learn how to act. And we launch change for the long haul and we say we're not just going to do this one thing and be done and assume that's everything fixed we're going to keep with them we're going to keep at it so who do you know who is marginalized because of the color of their skin or because of their race who do you know who is marginalized because of their economic situation or who do you know that's been shunned or canceled because of the way they've acted in the past what if you were to say I am going to pray with you. I am going to pray for you. And I am going to become the voice that you might be struggling to have. And not give up. Well, Scripture tells us that God stands. And God will stand for those who kneel. Some questions for you. We look to apply this together. They're going to be available on our website under most recent messages. You'll be discussing them in your growth groups this week, and you can certainly discuss them uh, at any time. You'll find these questions, like I said, on our website. Here they are. Sometime this week, review Luke 18, 1 through 8, which were the verses we read today. And think of a story. Share a story from your life or the life of someone you know when God was your or their defender. When was a time when you cried out for God's justice and God delivered for you? Who's a story of someone you know who needed God's justice and they prayed and God delivered for them? Question two, what encourages you to keep praying for justice when your world or the world feels like it's falling apart? What encourages you? And finally, spend some time praying for those you know who are being marginalized by acts and or systems of injustice. To close this morning, we're going to do just that. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Just where you are, you don't have to pray out loud. Just between you and the Lord, there's going to be some guided prayer. So would you bow your head with me? And let's pray for those who are marginalized for God's justice. Heavenly Father, as we bow in this place, as I pray in this place, 
I am fully aware that there are those around me who are marginalized, who do not have the opportunities I do, who do not have the the privilege I do just because of the color of their skin. They're viewed with distrust. They can't live in the same neighborhoods I could. They can't They can't walk down the street as I could. And that's not right. Lord, we turn our hearts to you. And we pray that you would deliver your justice. As your word says, that you would do it for your people, that you would do it quickly. Because of your great love, because of who you are, because of your name, would you come? Lord, if that's us, people watching online in this room, if we need your justice, Lord, we stand with them. We lift up their cry to you. I pray that you would encourage them to keep praying, to to boldly call out to you, to trust that you are a God who is just, who loves them and wants the most for them and will defend them as they trust you, that you are their answer, that you are their rock, that you are their anchor and that you are good, that you are a just God and will care for your people as a father cares for his children. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith to hold on in their circumstances. Lord, would you bring to mind the people in our lives who are marginalized. Just in the quietness of this moment, God. The people that we know who need your justice. And would you help us to pray for them as we just prayed for ourselves. Lord, for the people whose names and faces came to our minds and our hearts, our hearts break for them because of their situations and their circumstances. And we stand with them in prayer and we ask that you would deliver them. Lord, we think even on a larger scale for our brothers and sisters in Christ beyond our our personal knowledge and relationships 
to those who are held back because of systems of injustice that exist in all of our institutions, that exist in all of our cultures, that exist in our way of life, not just even in our country, but around the world. Those that are being marginalized just because of the tribe they belong to or the color of their skin or the way that they speak or the way that they look. Churches that are marginalized because they don't worship the way that we worship. Lord, we lift them up to you and ask that you would deliver them. God, bring justice. Help us to have faith to hold on and bring justice for those that we love, for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, in our country, in every part of our globe. God, we plead for you to act and to act quickly and we trust that you will do so and we will not stop kneeling for them for justice until you do. We thank you that you are a God of justice who will deliver us and will deliver them as we hold on to you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.